Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a joy it is today to be back with you that the Lord has also given us this day to worship him. Uh, let me thank you all for your prayers as I was away for a wedding and to preach for Mark Whitty, one of our missionaries that we support in Spain. It was a wonderful experience that I don't think I'll ever forget. There were Spaniards, South Americans, Russians, Ukrainians, and Irishmen, and Americans all in the same room together in Spain. All of us from different places, but all of us also united in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what a blessing that was. Again, thank you for your prayers in my absence and for all the work that took place while I was gone, including the sanctuary. I, I, I love coming into our sanctuary any time of the year, but especially this time of the year. It's just beautiful. So thank you to all of our hard workers. And things are starting to come together with our project as well. Um, now... Uh, Things are different this year, obviously. We're, we're still in the process of getting things done that we need to get done. But some things still remain the same. Like, for instance, this coming Wednesday night, just a couple of days, right? Wednesday night, we are having our Christmas covered dish meal. So everybody bring a dish. It's a really low-key, informal time. We enjoy food together, and it's fabulous. Um, we, we have a short devotional. And it really is short because it's after we eat, I promise you, right? And then we enjoy singing Christmas carols together. And it's always such a nice time. And that will be this coming Wednesday at 6. Also, one week from tonight at 6 p.m., we're going to have our Christmas cantata program. The choir's been working hard in preparation. And I hope that you will come and be a special uh, or be a part of that special time with us. Today, other things going on. We have something at our house. Come to our house. Amanda and Isabella and I are having a drop-in at the manse today from 3 to 5 p.m., and we have plenty of food, so you don't have to bring a thing, but we'd love to have you in our home. It's informal. It's just to enjoy some time together. Now, another very important thing is going on today, and that is that today we have our annual stated congregational meeting, including our budget meeting, and that's immediately after the worship service, so members especially, please do plan on staying Guests, you are welcome to stay as well, but only members have voice and vote. And so, if you are a guest or visitor and you'd like to join, see me and we can get that taken care of. Now, just a couple more things. Um, new elders and deacons recently elected. Please note that the installation and ordination service will be one week from today in the morning worship, so plan accordingly. Also, Amanda Buchanan has the Christmas ornaments. More Christmas ornaments are going to be right over here. After in, in Providence Hall, okay. So if you need to pick those up, please see Amanda. Also, you might have noticed in the scrolling announcements, there was a, a, a slide that talked about Bobby Gordon, who uh, y'all know Bobby. Bobby's celebrating his 92nd birthday. It's one week from today. Bobby lives in Brookdale now, so he can't be with us, but they are doing a card shower for him. Randy has printed, uh, Randy Brevard has printed labels for his address. If you'd like one, you can get one from him. Now, that's a lot of things, but there are still other things going on, but I'm going to let you find those in your bulletins. I will say this, notice that <clears throat> my voice is a little gravelly this morning. I, I came back with something, planes, trains, and automobiles. Rob took great care of me, um, but I do have a cough. Uh, I also have my trusty fisherman's friend cough drop here. If I put this in my mouth, it's not because I'm thinking on some profound point and I'm angry about something or it's a dark point of theology. 
They look like cat food, but they don't taste nearly as good, okay? But they stop the coughing. So just be aware that that's what's going on. Now, again, the Lord has given us this time. What a blessing it is to have this time together. Let's prepare our hearts as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And if that sounds familiar, I believe that is the passage that last week's speaker used in his sermon. But it says this, and of course it's related to Christmas, the Advent season. It says, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people rejoice before you as they rejoice at harvest time, as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and every bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. A son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. My friends, while there are so many things that we can focus on during the Christmas season, and again, the, the sanctuary is so beautiful, we're singing Christmas carols today. I love this time of the year to come together and worship. But let us not forget the hope of Jesus Christ. Let us not forget ultimately what he came to do. And later, I, I don't want to preach my sermon yet. I'll wait on that. But let us not forget these things. For it is through focusing on the person of Jesus Christ and his completed work that while we have so many reasons to worship, it should fill our hearts with gratitude and make us ready to come before the Almighty God. Let's now go to him in prayer, after which we'll pray the Lord's Prayer and then confess the Apostles' Creed together. But let's go to him now. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to be in this place. We're reminded on days like today where it's windy and rainy and <clears throat> not exactly nice outside, you've given us these wonderful facilities. We're, we're in the midst of this project to beautify that which you've entrusted to us. And Father, you're just so good to us. But beyond the, the, the physical, spiritually, looking at who Jesus Christ is, what Jesus Christ came to do, we're the recipients of all these wonderful promises. Let us keep these in our hearts and in our minds as we come before you now, recognizing that this is not some performance for each other, that I'm not some orator and the people in the pews or the audience. There is only one audience today and it is you. 
as we bring our worship before you, for you alone are worthy. So work now in our hearts and in our minds that we would remember you and remember who you have called us to be. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you now, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. And now, as we come together and continue in worship, let's take our hymnals. The words are on the screen, but number 159 is what we're singing. What child is this? And we're singing the first, second, third, and last verse. So please stand with me as we sing together. <clears throat>
may be seated. And children, come on down front. I don't think we're going to fit. We're going to have to go to the farm one over there. There we go. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. It's very nice. Good morning. It's so good to see all of you today. I hope that everybody is doing very well. And I hope that you are excited about something big that's coming. What a The sanctuary looks different today, doesn't it? We're decorating for Christmas. You know, Christmas is such a special time of the year for lots of reasons. But the most important reason is what? Man, that's exactly right. It's Jesus. It's Jesus' birthday. And Jesus shows us so many important things about who God is because Jesus is God. Jesus came to live the perfect life. But then he died on the cross for the sins of everybody that would trust in him. But he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead. And then he went back to heaven. And now we're just waiting on him coming again. Christmas points us to all of those things. And so do the candles behind me. Does anybody know what these are called? There's a special word for it. And I'm going to light them right now. Hopefully they actually light there. Oh, there we go. Last week one was lit. And today we, write the, uh, we light the next one. These are called Advent candles, right? And that's called an Advent wreath. Now, later on in my sermon, some of y'all are here, I'm going to talk about what that means. But Advent can be defined. Look what that really means is the Advent is an arrival of an important person, thing, and event, right? And the reason that we call Christmas the Advent season is because nobody ever, tell me, who is more important than Jesus, right? No. Is there somebody more important than Jesus? Who? That's right. You're exactly right. Nobody's more important because Jesus is God. And when Jesus came, like we talked about, he came to do all of these wonderful things for God's people. And each one of those candles represents a different thing to think about at Christmas time. Now, last week, that first candle that's burning right there is the candle that represents hope. But we need to be careful when we talk about hope, right? You know, words Sometimes when people use the word hope, they say things like, uh, you know, I, I hope that, that Christmas comes soon, or, or I hope that today is a nice day. Or, have you ever thought, don't answer this, but have you ever thought, I hope that church doesn't last too long? <laughs> I've thought that, and, and I've said that. But sometimes when we use the word hope, we really just mean wish. Because some things that we hope for, maybe they'll happen, maybe they won't happen. But that's not what the hope of Christmas represents. No, instead, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's about so much more than just making a wish, right? Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, real hope is not just something that maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. Real hope is what we plan for. Real hope is what we believe. And the reason why the first candle points to the hope of Christmas is that long ago, in the Old Testament, Jesus hadn't been born yet. And so God's people looked forward in hope, planning for him to come, planning for the Messiah. But our hope is a little bit different. Our hope is not for Jesus to be born. We're supposed to hope for Jesus to come. 
back. And it's not something that might or might not happen. Jesus has promised that he's coming back. And when he comes back, all those things that I read earlier, I read from Isaiah 9, it talks about, Jesus says, for us, to, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The reason that we hope is that we look forward to when Jesus comes back and he makes everything wrong into what's right. He fixes every problem, and that's when his kingdom will come in all of its fullness, and he's going to do all of those things completely for all of us. So, at Christmas time, there are many wonderful things to celebrate. But don't forget to hope. Don't forget to look forward to when Jesus comes back. Okay? Let me pray for you. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children. I pray that you would help them to remember what hope is really all about. Help the rest of us to remember too. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. As they are being dismissed, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, after which I will lead us in the pastoral prayer. But let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, as we are gathered here in this place, with the light of the Advent candles burning, with the Christmas tree standing, with the memory of Christmas carols in our ears, we recognize your goodness, your love, your mercy, indicated in so many ways through your faithfulness to your people, calling them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, making a people for yourself, promising your Messiah, and on that first Christmas, indeed, delivering on your promise. And it is with the Messiah, not just his birth, his incarnation, but his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and now, in his high priesthood, as he is at your right hand interceding on our behalf, it is in all of these that we recognize your greatness, your majesty, again, your love that is beyond all comparison, for no one compares to you. And also, we recognize where you have placed us. The fact that we are here right now. And Father, I don't presume that everyone here knows you. That's your business. But Father, I know that so many do. And I know that the ones that are here that do not know you have already heard the gospel and what we've lifted up, what we've read in your word, but we'll hear it again. And so for that reason, I know they are loved. And the rest of us that do know you, oh, Father, 
We could focus on all the things. For certainly you provided for us in the temporal things of life, but ultimately, spiritually, and forevermore in all eternity, you have provided for us. Let our hearts be filled with gratitude, certainly this time of the year. For Christmas is that time when lots of things come up. <clears throat> we are reminded of what was, what we wish would be. We are reminded of the things that we have gained and the things that perhaps we have lost. And in the midst of all of these things, while people are wondering and wandering, let us reflect the light of Christ, recognizing all that you've done for us. Father, as we face challenges to this, we pray that you would intercede, whether they be physical. And certainly those exist. We have those that are recovering from surgeries, those that are waiting on surgeries. We have those that are facing illness of, of a long-term variety and a short-term variety. You know these situations, Father, so we pray that you would come to our aid. Or maybe it's not physical, maybe it's spiritual or emotional. Christmas is a very powerful time of the year with all the nostalgia, again, with all of the thoughts. So is year's end. Please bring healing, bring restoration, bring encouragement, and if needed, correction. All for your sake and for our good. And all for the sake of what you've called us to do and, and who you've called us to be in this world around us. Again, those who reflect your light. So work in our hearts to that and in the hearts of all those that you have called. As I reflect on just a week ago, being in a room with people from all over the world and yet united in Christ, so it is with us and our brothers and sisters that we don't even know. Yet our task is the same and our grand privilege is the same and that is to be your people. So Father, please again, work in our hearts to that end. And I pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. And now as we continue our time of worship together, take your hymnals and turn to number 159 with me as we stand and sing, What Child Is This? Number 159.
Let's go to our Lord. Our Father, as we come to this time in the service, as we consider again your profound gift to us, the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ, and your so many other gifts, we pray now that as we return to you out of this bounty that you would please bless these gifts, these tithes and these offerings, for your sake and for your kingdom. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
thank you very much, choir. What a blessing. And I know, It's one of those things. When you dwell on the love of God, it transforms you. It really changes your outlook on everything. And it, it reminds you not only of the way time moves, but also the fact that God really is in control. He's in charge. And he is taking care of things. But also the offertory. I wonder as I wander. Definitely a Christmas carol, but not one that is often sung. Um, that's one of the things that I quote. Maybe you picked up on that. I talk about people wondering and wandering all the time. And so that, that also is a blessing. So thank you, choir. Well, let me say, again, it is good to be back with you all. As I've, I've been out of town. But today is especially excellent because while it is the Lord's Day, I've referenced this already. It's also the second Sunday of Advent. So let me just say, if you haven't heard it yet, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is that time of the year. Advent, as I said with the kids earlier, at its simplest definition, right? Advent is the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And the Advent season is called such because it's recognized that there's never been an arrival so important as that of Jesus Christ. For who has changed the world more? Answer, of course, to that is no one who has blessed us more. No one. Who is the source of our hope but Jesus Christ? If it is someone else, then I would encourage you to consider that. But certainly, it is an appropriate name for the season. Now, as I also talked about with the children, our second candle is burning this morning. Um, last week, the first candle was lit, and it represents hope. What hope? The hope of Christmas, of course. The, the hope of the, uh, the coming Messiah that was celebrated by God's people as they looked forward to the coming Messiah. Why? Why did they look forward? I've already read it this morning. Isaiah chapter 9 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and these are all the things he will be. The, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. The entire basis of our hope is the promise of Jesus and all that he would do. And indeed, indeed, Jesus, God the Son, did come that first Christmas. And he made his dwelling among us. And yet, as I also talked about with the children, our hope is not in his first coming, but indeed in his second, when he will return and make all things right. And now again, the second candle is burning before you. I wonder if you remember from last year what that second candle represents. Given our passage for today, its meaning may surprise you because you see, what today's candle represents has a lot of sides to it. And today I want to talk about an aspect of what the second candle represents that folks don't often think about this time of the year. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Now, most recently together on Sunday mornings, we've been going through the book of Philippians, which is just a couple of books over. If you're wondering where to find it, remember, General Electric Power Company, right? Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Oh, the things that we do to remember things, right? So if you were in Philippians before, it's a couple of books back. Um, but as you turn there, let me just give you a very brief background on Galatians and the church there. Unlike, say, the church in Rome or, or Corinth, Galatia was really more of a region, okay, as opposed to Paul writing to a specific group in a specific city, okay? He's writing really to more of a region. But very much like his other epistles, Galatians was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul 
to churches, right, to church members. And also, very much like his other books, Paul is writing to address something that is going on there, okay? Now the question is, what is going on in Galatia? Um, It's something that you may be familiar with. Um, Most recently, we saw it in Philippians. If you follow the daily devotionals, you'd definitely be familiar with this subject because what Paul is dealing with as he writes the Galatian church is a group of people that have been called different things but often referred to as the Judaizers, okay? We also talked about these people a couple of weeks ago when we were in Philippians chapter 3. The apostle Paul referred to them then as dogs, as those workers of evil, those mutilators of the flesh. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the reason he uses such strong language in Philippians, and (coughs) y'all, if you think that's strong language, give me a minute, okay, because we'll get there. But if you think that's strong language, just wait till you see what he says in Galatians. And the reason is because of what these people were doing. Just like in Philippians, just like in the book of Acts, these group of Jews that refer to themselves as Christians are going around to different Gentile churches and they're saying, hey, you're, you want to be a Christian? Great, fabulous. But look, you have to be a Jew in order to be a real Christian. In other words, you've got to become a Jew first if you want to be a Christian. That means uh, men. Y'all go ahead and line up because we've got to get you circumcised. As you could imagine... That was not a very popular concept, right? But it wasn't just that. It was also all the other Jewish laws. There's certain things that you can eat and certain things you can't eat. You have to recognize these feast days. You have to do this. You have to do that and so forth. And Paul is writing the Galatians because they've been infiltrated by a group of Judaizers. They've come around and they've said, hey, you guys want to be Christians. You've got to be Jews first. So you have to do all this stuff. And he's writing the Galatians to address these false teachings that would add to the gospel. Because you see, Paul, and and really, I I say this all the time, forget about Paul. This is the word of God, okay? So this is God here that is breathing out his word through Paul. But realize God hates those who corrupt his word and the gospel. He hates that. They take the gospel, which is free and beautiful. They take the words of Christ when he said, if the Son of Man sets you free, You are free indeed. Isn't that wonderful? When Jesus calls out to those, come to me if your burden is heavy. My yoke is light. They take that and they twist it. They they warp it into a creation of their own way of, of working their way to heaven that promotes their own agendas. And it's just horrible. And if you think that hate is too strong of a word, consider what God said through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5.12. And speaking of these mutilators of the flesh, these mongrels that warp the gospel and add to it, God, through Paul, and and I chose a slide with a nice background to try to soften this a little bit, but when talking about these people, in Galatians 5.12, God, through Paul, said, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. You probably didn't think you'd hear this verse in a Christmas sermon, did you? But nevertheless, that shows the vehemence, that shows how serious God takes it when people add to his word. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm not not trying to be vulgar. These are not my words. This is the word of God. I'm just trying to show you how seriously God takes it when somebody adds to the gospel or takes away from it. Because the gospel is simple and again, it's beautiful. Acts 16.31, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Period. The end. Now, 
That's the premise of the book of Galatians. Paul is writing the Galatians in order to deal with all sorts of false teaching about the gospel and God's law. In other words, what you have to do to be a Christian. And so with that in mind, today we come to chapter 4. So we're going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4. And yes, despite all of what I've said, this really does have to do with Christmas. And it really does point to the meaning of that second candle burning before you. Again, we'll start reading in verse 1, but let's go to the Lord first in prayer. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is to have the gift of your word. We don't have to figure things out on our own. We, we, we don't have to go to some shaman who will interpret something for us. Instead, very clearly you have told us what it is to know you, what is pleasing to you, how to follow you, how to trust you. You teach us in your word. And what you teach us is beautiful. But without you, we're not going to understand it. So please, by your Holy Spirit, work in our hearts now and guide us. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Galatians chapter 4 again, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, coming to Galatians 4, with all that I've already said in mind thus far... Clearly, in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is reaching some profound conclusions about what it really means to be a Christian, yes, but also the substance, what Christianity itself is. What is Christianity? It's a rather important question, don't you think? I mean, there was a time where you might say, what do you mean, what is Christianity? It means following Christ. But don't we live in a time now where Christianity has been so misrepresented and and falsely taught, and in in many cases it's been reduced to nothing? I mean, we live in this time where you would think, well, to be a Christian means that you follow Christ, yet to some being a Christian is about a payday, to some it's just fire insurance, to some it's about living your best life now. Um, You know, and I'm not trying to go after one person in particular, but y'all really and truly, this is an important question. But you find the answer to it if you read what we just read, if you read between the lines especially. The Apostle Paul begins in the first three verses by reminding God's people, the Galatians, but also by extension he reminds you and me today of what our status is in Christ. Now, that's that's the first three verses. But as I click here, you can see some, some words enunciated there, right? Several words are italicized in these first three verses as Paul describes who we really are. Important words. Words like heir and child, right? And owner. And y'all, we like those words, don't we? 
Oh, yes. In fact, when you start talking about heir, being an heir usually means there's an inheritance involved. We like being an owner, okay? Um, and in fact, y'all, I'm not trying to discredit this. There indeed is an inheritance in Christ. The greatest inheritance in the history of heirs, for it is Christ, that it's in Christ, that we receive eternity, that we receive the entire kingdom of God. But that's not the only words that are used to describe status. There's other words used. Words like slave, guardians, trustees, slavery. And while we like the ownership thing, this, eh, not so much. They imply obligation. They imply, in fact, that we do not belong to ourselves. And doesn't that just bristle up against us? You know, we have this rugged American individualism thing, which isn't a bad thing at all, but when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, it can certainly get in the way of the truth to think, what do you mean we don't belong to ourselves? But I ask you, is that a bad thing that we don't belong to ourselves? Not at all when you recognize what God is really saying here. The first three verses, again, convey status And that they convey that we do not belong to ourselves. But rather for those trusting in Christ, we belong to God. Again, if you know Jesus, that is. And why is that the case? For the very simple reason that you were bought at a price. And not just any price. No, if if you belong to God, you were bought at the highest price ever paid. You were purchased with the blood of God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And you were purchased out of love. And it is God's love that holds you, if you know Him. But I want to be clear about something. All of this business in verses 2 and 3 about slavery to the world and ownership by God, they tell us who we really are as people by getting to the very core of the human problem. What is the central problem of human existence? You know, sometimes we ponder that question more than others. When you look at what's going on in the world around you, you ever just say, what is wrong with people? Or when you have a particularly unpleasant interaction with someone, you say, goodness. Or maybe you go to a different place and you see the lunacy or you turn on the news and it's just like, what, what is wrong with people? Well, I'm going to tell you. More importantly than me, God's word tells us it all comes down to this. We can't help ourselves. Really, we, we can't help ourselves. When it comes to sin, we don't have the power of contrary choice on our own apart from Jesus. We, when it comes to sin, we just follow our nature, y'all. As Edwards put it, Jonathan Edwards, our, our strongest urge to sin is what we follow. Not because of simple will, because it is our very nature to be sinners. Um, Over the past years, I've served on many committees on the presbytery level. One of those committees has been examining students to to become ministers. And one question that I always ask is, are we sinners because we sin or do we sin because we are sinners? You might hear that and say, excuse me? (laughs) You might say, well, what's the difference? Well, there's a profound difference. It may seem like a silly question, but if you really think about it, The world tells you, the world around us tells you that all people are born innocent, right? That that we're like blank slates and we're products of our environment, that whole nurture kind of thing going on, but the people are basically good. But what God's word teaches is that we sin 
Because it is in our very nature. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is who we are. The metaphor that I've used in here before with y'all is we're like the lion at the zoo, right? If the zookeeper comes time to feed the lion and the zookeeper prepares, and I'm sure that these exist, I'm not a salad guy, but some of you have told me, so I'll believe you. The most beautiful salad you could ever imagine that you look at and you say, oh, yeah. I've never looked at a salad and said, oh, yeah, that's for me. But maybe you have. (laughs) Nevertheless, the most beautiful salad with the freshest of ingredients, right? All, you know, freshly prepared, just, just this beautiful salad. Or a hunk of rotting meat. And he goes to that lion's cage, and he puts both in there for the lion to eat. What's the lion going to eat? We know, don't we? And not just 99 times out of 100. 100 times out of 100, that lion is going to eat the meat, not the salad. Why? Is it because the lion's like me and he just doesn't like cold vegetables that much? No. Because his parents didn't say, you're not getting up from this dinner table until that salad is gone. No. The lion, a hundred times out of a hundred, eats the meat because he is a carnivore. Because at the very fabric of that lion's existence, at the core of that lion's identity, is that it is a meat eater. And therefore, it eats the meat. And who we are bringing this around to us, who we are, and the core of our beings, naturally, until you come to know Jesus Christ, we're slaves to sin, naturally. So if you look at the world and you say, what in the world is going on? That, that's what's going on, okay? And the reality is this, sin holds on until it kills you. Until it kills you forever. That's why verse 3 says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were in slavery under the elements of the world. But it's here in the next few verses that we see the difference between the love of God and the sinfulness of the world. Sin holds on until it kills you. But God holds on because he loves you. He loves you deeply. And if you doubt that, consider verses 4 and 5 when we read that when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now, that second candle burning before you and what it represents. There are many things that we could take from this passage, but I'm going to tell you the one that we really should. Again, going back to our status and who we are with and without Christ, with Christ, we've just read it, it's it's the most unbelievable transaction in the history of transactions. God gave his own child so that you could become his child through adoption. His child was perfect. We've all got that sin thing going on, naturally. It's our strongest urge. But he sent his son anyway. So we could talk about love. We could talk about sacrifice. But go back to who we are without Christ. And you see, without Christ, we are at enmity with God. Naturally sinful, we are naturally God's enemies. 
And so what that second candle burning before you represents, what it points to in this passage in a word, is peace. But not just any peace. It points to the peace that results from Christ coming that first Christmas in order to redeem his people, in order to make peace between God and man, to remove us from the world's slavery. And to make us sons and daughters of the king. The king of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why the angels that gathered with the heavenly host in Luke 2.14. And said to those angels. Or said to those shepherds. That Christ has come and as a result. Glory to God in the highest. And what? And on earth peace. To whom? To those whom he has chosen to be his own. To those on whom his favor rests to those who are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. The Son of God who came, verse 5, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons, as daughters. But realize not only are we adopted, and as it's Christmas time, y'all, I know there's so many things to think about. But let me encourage you, dwell on them. Not only are we adopted, no, there's more. As his adopted children, as heirs to the kingdom of God, with with God as your father and with Christ as your brother, not only do you have peace with God, not only are you no longer running from God, verses 6 and 7, and because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Y'all, the peace, the peace that the candle burning before you is about so much more than silent nights and, and little towns of Bethlehem, though I love those. The candle burning before you represents the peace of belonging, of, of being a son or a daughter of the king, an heir of the kingdom of God. Why? Because God loved you just that much. But as we read verse 4, At the fullness of time, at the completion of time, when the timing was just right, he sent his son for you. It's fascinating that verse 4 talks about the fullness of time, the completion of time, as if the timing was just right. As we go along, we're going to see that in worldly wisdom, the timing was not right at all. There's so many things happening. But nevertheless, it was just the right time for God to intervene. It was just the right time for God to give his son. And the calling for those who belong to him is to remember this and to proclaim it and to live like it. Remember before Christ, you weren't a son. You weren't a daughter. You were an outlaw running from justice. And even though you didn't realize it, you were at enmity with God. But if you're here today and you know Jesus, that's changed. You belong to him. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're still an outlaw. You're still God's enemy. But in Christ, you have this adoption. If you know Jesus, remember this. Enjoy gratitude and obedience. Remember it. You see that term there that's used, Abba. Remember who God is. It's it's often been misrepresented. A lot of times people say, oh, it means daddy. That is not what Abba means. Instead, the term Abba, if you want to know what Abba means, go to Jerusalem. Talk to somebody that's from a long Jewish family. They'll tell you what Abba means and when they use the word Abba. 
Um, there's a wonderful article written by a theologian where he talks about, it's actually interesting, this was many, many years ago, he flew to Israel for something, and um, he got detained in the airport, which happens. I tried to sneak some, uh, some Manchego cheese into the United States. It was pasteurized, they let me through, but I was thinking, how am I going to explain to Amanda that I'm in jail in Philadelphia? But nevertheless, right, he got detained in Jerusalem, and so... Uh, he really needed to use the restroom, and, and he rushed out of being in, in the tank, and he went to the restroom, and he heard a father and a son talking. And they were speaking in, in English, right, but they were also speaking in Hebrew, and he could understand both. But his father used Aramaic, and he said, listen to me, listen to what your Abba tells you. What he meant by that was not listen to what your daddy tells you. He said, listen with listening ears. That term Abba, father, is always used in relation to obedience. That's why when Jesus cried out to God, Abba, Father, let your cup pass, he then followed up with, not my will be done, your will be done. You see, what the peace of Christmas represents is God bringing us in so that he's not just the, the, the grand ruler and all of his majesty over all the cosmos, and he is, but because of Jesus, he's your father. And he loves you. And again, if you doubt that, look not only to the cradle at Bethlehem. Look to the cross at Calvary. Where his work was completed. If you know Jesus, bask in this peace that we have that, that results in eternal life and cherish the peace of Christmas. But if you don't know him, realize this peace, this adoption, this inheritance, it can be yours. But it will only be yours in Christ. Receive the gospel. Ask Jesus to save you, and he will. See me after, and we'll talk. The peace of Christmas can be yours, too. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we praise you for this adoption. We praise you for this newness of life, this fullness, this completeness in Christ that is available in no one and nothing else. As we hope, as we bask in the peace of Christ, this Christmas season, continually let us look to you again and again in gratitude for Jesus Christ. And I pray it in his name. Amen. And now, as we close together, pay attention to the words. These Christmas carols, we sing them. Pay attention to the words as we close together by singing number 166, God rest you, merry gentlemen. Please stand with me, number 166.
Again, we'd invite everybody to come and join us from 3 to 5 o'clock today at the manse. Members, please do stay for the congregational meeting after. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace, both now and forevermore. Amen.